Good evening, good evening, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Lots of cool pictures, also lots of great giveaways. I want to thank you so much. You can uh, follow us on Spotify, on Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. Uh, We're all over the place. So I hope that you enjoy the show, share with your friends. Tonight, I think I have my guest on the line here. You've probably seen him on Snowfall. Um, Sometimes he's called Unk, uh, Jerome, you know, but uh, here he is. Uh, I think this is him. Eamon, Joseph, this is you? That's me. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm all right. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to call in this evening. Thank you for having me. Have you been able to check up on snowfall this season? Yes, actually, I've been able. They allowed me to see the first four um, episodes, so I'm a little ahead of probably the general public, so I can't give away certain things. <laughs> But um, it's it's been like mind boggling the first couple episodes alone. Wow, you've seen up to episode four, so you're you're ahead of the uh, of the regular public at least by one episode. Yeah, it's it's getting very hairy, definitely. Yes, yes. Let's talk about you though. So uh, H U in the house. You're a bison. You know. <laughs> Did you um did you join any fraternities when you were there? No, nah, I'm from the fraternity of of Harlem, New York. That's the only okay, fraternity okay. I'm I'm part of. I understand. You know, everybody. It's not for everybody. Um, what was your favorite class at um Howard? Wow, my favorite class at Howard. I would say that. Man, I, I, I mean, I just think about my acting class, but probably play analysis, like breaking down scripts. That probably mm-hmm. was my favorite, just to, you know, to know the structure of screenplays and, um, and you know, and stage plays as well. Do you have a favorite play that um, you love, like you could see over and over and over again? I like um, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I like a lot of Tennessee Williams stuff. I like a lot of August Wilson. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love uh, musical-wise, like Jelly's Jelly's Jam. I like, um, hmm, big, yeah, a lot of August Wilson. I love August Wilson plays. Now, you're from the East Coast, but you went out West. How was that change or transition? What was like the weirdest thing you experienced when you went out west? The weirdest thing that I experienced coming out west. Hmm, weird. I don't know. Maybe it's the food. You know, when I was East Coast, I didn't grow up on, you know, tacos and burritos. I I did not know what a burrito or a quesadilla. You couldn't tell me. I couldn't figure <laughs> out of a lineup. Um, okay. I definitely wasn't. I definitely wasn't into guacamole and the avocado as mm. a as a fruit or or a vegetable or whatever it is. I know it's delicious now, but at the time when I moved here, you know, a lot of the you know just the West Coast cuisine of sushi, same thing. Uncooked uncooked fish was just not something that I did, and 
we were more steak yeah. and potato people, you know. So, um, so yeah, those are some of the things I would say that were like weird transitions, especially if you see me now eating my little, you know, my little rolls and sashimi and all the type of sushi that I love now. I definitely wouldn't have touched it um, when I first moved Before. out to the West Coast. Yeah. Now, um, when did you feel like you made it? Or, or and, and right before that, was there that point of you're going to give up and go come back east? Mm, making it. You know, all of that is kind of relative. Um, there's definitely been times. I feel like in this career, especially if you're passionate about it and, and you want to see a lot of your dreams and goals come to fruition, you're always going to be battling uh, with your inner self on are you doing enough? Have you accomplished enough? Um, I think that's just part of the rites of passage of being a, a, a creative. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've definitely had moments where I had to say, God, what's going on? Like, mm. where, you know, how, 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 like, tell me something. But what I realized is, um, and I still walk in, in that kind of in this faith walk, even till today. So, you know, the whole you made it, I don't necessarily see my life like that. I just see that I continually wake up, continually try to get better at my craft um, and stay consistent um, and, and, and stay enthusiastic, stay enchanted about this journey and realize it's a journey. Once I gave up so much of the, of the, um, once I start treating myself better and stop putting such hard demands on how my career should show, you know, show up for me, um, right. that kind of grace gave, gave me space. It gave me a lot of space to be able to say, you know what, I love this craft no matter what. And I would do this craft no matter what it sustains me. It's a, it's a way that I, you know, to me, the craft of acting has a trans, uh, transformative power um, mm-hmm. that I'm able to express myself and, and I get joy from that craft. I could teach a kid that I could, you know, I could do a monologue in front of anyone and, 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 and feel that joy from doing something that I love. And that's very different than the business. So make sure that you never convolute the two and have a joy, a passion. And usually people see that. And because you're so enthusiastic about it and, 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 you know, so enamored with it, usually the, 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 the work opportunities also come along and you're not so, you know, so focused on that all right. the time. You know, I hope I, I hope I'm making sense, but to me, no, it's just really right. about the craft, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, what about Sheila though? Now, Sheila, is she part of the craft? Uh, <laughs> and how long does it take to put Sheila on and maneuver her? What's the process with Sheila? Well, for anybody that doesn't know, Sheila is is my hairdo. You know, yes. that's that's uh-huh. the special lady. That's the special lady in my life, besides Louie on the show Snowfall. So um, mm-hmm. she's a curl. She I keep her luxurious. I keep her, you know, moist and um and well picked <laughs> out. And she she yeah. can sometimes go from a shag to a to a long curl, long luscious curl. But but um yeah, it takes it takes me a while to uh, to pull Jerome together. You know, it takes a while. I'd say about twenty minutes to pull Sheila and her sideburn. Uh, you know, she's accompanied by some 
five burns as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But to pull the whole look together, I say about usually about 20, 20 minutes in the chair. And big now, shout out to our, the- you know, to our hair and makeup, hair and makeup team on Snowfall. You know, Brett yes. um, is, is my barber, and, and big shout out to Andrea and Deb and all the people that keep us looking tight and right for that. Say, um, period piece, you know. Mhm. Now, for the role, what was the audition like? Did they call you? Did you have to go once, twice, three times? What was that process to get the role of Jerome? Oh, uh, the process was. Uh, I think I went maybe. I think I went to two auditions and then a producer session. So it was like a, uh, it was like an audition, a callback. And then um, a, pro- a producer's session, and mm-hmm. then and, and then there was like a um, then there was like a I, I would I guess you could say a network test in a sense, but it was it was almost mm-hmm. like a dress rehearsal. It was kind of like pairing people together. Um, so yeah, it took about maybe three three or four um, auditions or meetings. Um, yeah. And I had auditioned for, for this particular character maybe a year before. Maybe a wow. year before because this was the second yeah, this was the second iteration of they had done a pilot and they wanted to retool some things. So on the second you know, I I don't know how far I got in the last process. Maybe I got to like a callback in the last process when they did it the first time. So when they did it the mm-hmm. second time they brought me back in. And that's the version that we see now, yeah. Let me just tell the audience, Snowfall is on Wednesdays, 10 p.m. Eastern. They're on Instagram, Snowfall FX. They're on Twitter, Snowfall FX. Also on Facebook, Snowfall FX. Now, how has your family fared with this COVID drama? Um, did you guys have to do any special things, testing? I mean, what, what has been your life with this COVID for the last year? Well, yeah, COVID came while, you know, I was here with my um with my wife and my daughter here in Los Angeles. And um, so, you know, ever since we went on lockdown, we were in the middle of filming Snowfall when, when you know, everything got locked down around mid-March. And, you know, yeah. my family and I, we sheltered, we sheltered in place. Um, to be quite honest, you know, sometimes, you know, there's a saying, it, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And I think with the pandemic, Although it's been very um, challenging and it's definitely been some worst of times, there's also a silver lining that because of the nature of my work and my wife's work and our child just being acclimated to the world, she's a toddler, um, you know, you can be on the run a lot with with these steady careers that, you know, are are high-paced and I'm traveled a lot. Um, So, you know, through this pandemic, this sheltering in place, especially, you know, last year, all of last year through, mm-hmm. through the spring, the, the end of the winter into the spring, into the summer, I was able to spend a lot of time at home with my family in a way yeah, that I never, never, you know, had before or probably will in that type of mm-hmm. way, you know. Those right. days were very right. long. Remember those first days of the pandemic, how long they were? And, you know, you oh, don't yeah. want to go outside. 
everything coming into your home, you need to wash and go through different protocols with, and um, to be there with my loving family, um, it just, you know, I look at that as a silver lining in all of this. Um, maybe that's just me. I'm kind of an optimist person. So I, that's how I saw it. I was like, wow, I got this opportunity to really be with my family and love on them and them love on me. And, and you know, you don't get these, these, these that type of time back, especially watching your children grow, you know? Yeah, no, you don't. Like, I have a daughter, and I totally understand. And there's some things I remember from her. And, and one of the things she always laughed about is that I just remember her little hand being inside of my hand and, like, walking down the street type of thing. Um, but now she's uh-huh. taller than me. And her hands are very long, and it's just like, wow. And she's like, Mom, stop. Okay, all right, all right. Like, you know, don't get that look in your eye. <laughs> You know, um, it's crazy. Now, your show is dealing with the drug um, development of crack. What do you think you're going to tell your daughter when she grows up about drugs and what not to do and who not to interact with? Because there's a lot of that going on in the show of who people should interact with and how they should interact. And, you know, what would you tell your daughter at the teen years, you know? Yeah, you know, I'm not there yet, so I'll have to see where, you know, where I'm at at that time. I think just overall, I think you want to, you know, you want to be able to raise well-adjusted children. You know, you want, I want to be able to impart a lot of um, street smarts and a a lot of opportunities that, um, that I was given and, opportunities that I wasn't even afforded. I want to be able to just make a well-balanced person that can make smart decisions in real time and have a code, Mm -hmm. you know, know who she is, um, be able to, uh, I think that's all you can, you know, because people are going to do what they want. So I would like that, Mm -hmm. you know, that my daughter, my daughter would know that there are consequences for, for actions and that, you know, whatever she chooses to do, that she carries just not her own, you know, that she's also carrying a last name with that and, 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 and the integrity that her, her parents and her ancestors and all of, all of that intention is put on her as well. So, you know, um, that's the general thing that I can say besides don't take drugs, you know, um, <laughs> right. because I feel like, I feel like people are going to do, what they're going to do. You just want people to know that no matter what they do, they're loved and supported, um, but also accountable. Yeah. I think your character is like that in a way with um, his nephew, Franklin. Um, You, you kind of warn him uh, as your character. You're like, you sure you want to like go into this thing right now? You, You know, you want that kind of heat on you, you know, you kind of talk to him as, as Jerome about that, but he doesn't listen. Yeah. I think my character is definitely one of the characters that is kind of like the, you know, if we, if this was a Greek tragedy, I, I definitely am chorus. The, 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 you know, that, mm. that speak about some of the things that, you know, the, the, the repercussions of, of the choices that we're making oftentimes, you know, I am that voice of reason. But we've seen Jerome get caught up as well. You know, 
greed and, and an opportunity to change his own circumstances and to reach for something bigger than his initial um, opportunities, you know, and being able to get his yeah. own store and, 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 you know, dress a different way and have a different type of command and immunity. I think they all, all of those characters, the same family, have been seduced by the, uh, by the money and the opportunity that power has brought them. Do you remember when you were growing up, um, was there a crack uh, in your neighborhood, or do you know people who were, uh, you know, affected by it, lost family members? How, how did that impact you when you were growing up? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in, you know, I grew up in the mid-'80s. Those were the first times of me, you know, kind of really being cognizant of uh, of growing up when I was in grade school and stuff like that. So I remember, you know, probably mid-'80s, it's probably late-'80s, late really, but I remember seeing, you know, like blue tops and red tops and yellow tops and thinking that they were just mm. rocks in the play in the playground, you know, I thought that they were just I thought that files were just colorful, clear rocks, you know, and mm-hmm. I remember picking them up picking them up and throwing them. I, I really didn't have a connection to knowing, oh a, a crackhead was just something that you called somebody, um, to disrespect them. You know what I mean? Like I didn't really yeah. have the full bearing of knowing what these people we're doing and why and you know their story and and really seeing the the crazy effect that the, the drug had on the community. I was really looking at the 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 after shock of it and and just growing up and thinking that this was normal. I, I thought it was normal to see crack addicts mm. and crackheads and and to see files and you know if someone is you know, lighting up something in the park. It's like, man, they on drugs, they're crackhead. And it was more of a, I don't know, it was sort of bigger than life, you know what I mean? Because you just, within the context of my own home, I didn't have anyone that was a drug user. But then I would have, Mm -hmm. you know, family members that, oh, they're on crack. And that don't sound good, you know. (laughs) For a child, you just take the connotation. The way they said that don't sound like it's a good thing. And then you hear about mm-hmm. people, you know, kind of a stereotypical thing of people stealing or people not coming out of their room and just doing erratic, erratic behavior and, and things of that nature. And so it became a stigma. Those people became pariah to your own family and to, you, you know, it made, you know, deep wedges in the community and families. You know, I think we're still as a community especially the black and brown community, we're still dealing with the aftershocks, after effects of, of the uh, crack cocaine epidemic. How do you think the government, do you think the government has handled the opioid situation better or worse than they did the crack situation? What's your opinion on that? Mm, I think it's too early to really, to really, Either I'm not informed enough or it's too early for me to be able to cast a judgment on because um, there's not enough hindsight because we're still in it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, to some effects, we're still in, we're still in the, you know, the crack cocaine epidemic in some, some ways. We're still feeling, like I said, it's still reverberating within our community. Um, with opioids, it's so new. Um, and the mechanism was through 
pharmaceutical cells. You know what I mean? Like these were your actual licensed doctors prescribing yeah. and administer. And um, so I, I don't know if we've quite, I don't think we quite know the, the ramifications of what that's going to look like as um as our population ages, um, what type of effects that's going to have psychologically on the children that are that are also addicted to uh, these yeah. opioids, and um, mm-hmm. and I and I think you know because we can look at um, perhaps that it hasn't been criminalized the same way. Um, or that it has been decriminalized, you know, that it's looked at as a health issue um, a little bit earlier from the onset. Um, I mm-hmm. think that's something that you know, is glaringly obvious. But other than that, I think that, you know, I think that I probably reserve my my, uh, my opinion until I can get more facts and, and see how this, uh, this whole thing plays out. Because mm-hmm. we're right in the middle of it. Yes, you know, we are definitely. This, the, now, difference, the difference here, the difference here is like we are, you know, like we're propping up some of these companies on Wall Street. We're in bed with these companies as far as even the food that we eat, you know, as, by some of the same drug makers that you know are selling you, you know, Tylenol, or also selling you opioids, or selling you uh, cereal, you know. So it's just mm. so, you know, it's. I think this is a bigger. There's going to be bigger implications, I think, when this is all said and done. But right now, you know, I just don't have enough information. Yeah, it's a public health situation, and I'm sure there will be tons of papers and journal articles. And like you said, in terms of generationally, I think, just like you said, crack. I mean, generationally, like for me, I have people in my family that were, you know, impacted. They came crackheads. And so they're only one generation ahead of me, you know. So with the opioid, I think the same types of things will happen. You know, children that may be dealing with addiction issues because they were born with it or children of addicts and their life and how they play out, you know, that, that that's all coming. And papers and things will be written, I believe, definitely about, you know, this opioid situation. Um, let's talk about your um, dark energy pictures. Can you tell the audience a little bit about your company? Yeah, I made a uh, production company back in 2015, and I just wanted to be able to to make some of the um, make content that reflected some of my sensibilities. And you know, I'm a big avid um, action fan and sci-fi fan, and I just wanted to you know to focus on multilingual cultural content that um, that you know focused us in in, in a certain light, and, you know, and different sensibilities that then some of the stuff that I'd previously been doing or some of the stuff that was, you know, readily in the market. So the first film under dark energy was a film called call me King. I did that with um, RL Scott and David A. Fisher, Shawnee Riggs. And it was a, it was about gun runners that were from Haiti. It was a multilingual film. We spoke like 12 languages in the film and it was wow. very diverse cast. Um, and um, we did a day and date with Netflix with that particular film. And right now I'm working on a film called The Royal. Um, it's about um, baseball legend Willie Mays Aiken. Um, and mm-hmm. um, a lot of people don't know that he he got one of the, the um, largest mandatory minimum, minimum drug sentences 
24 years for selling crack cocaine to an undercover police officer. Um, mm. He was, you know, he was uh, forced out of baseball, and um, the film is about basically him getting his, righting his wrongs, becoming ingratiated back into the community, um, and, and having accountability, like a redemption story. So those are two, like, you know, two films that are under the, the uh, Dark Energy banner. And I, I look to, you know, produce more, go into television, short form, long form. Um, but that's, yeah, that's my production company. Did you have a favorite sci-fi movie or flick when you were growing up? Like, did you watch, were you a, a Trekkie or something like that? I did love, I did love Star Trek. Um, but what was my, I was more kind of like aliens, you know, I like aliens, okay. aliens, uh, Big Sigourney Weaver fan, big Aliens fan, big um, mm. Predator, uh, Terminator. Okay. Might have watched I'm a the Terminator. Terminator. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know they had the te- they had the TV show Sarah Connor Chronicles. That was like I used to I love that. I, I know. I've seen it actually twice. I know. It's, it's crazy. I know. So what? Can, um, what can yeah, you those are those are some of my you know some oh, sorry, really cool sorry. 80s films. You know. Mm-hmm. You know I'm just saying mm-hmm. those were the really cool. What can we see from Jerome coming up? Um, Can you give the audience any little hints or tidbits about where he's going, what he's planning, plotting? Well, I think, you know, it's it's obvious that anyone, not to give any spoilers, but, you know, for episode one and two, most people realize that, you know, that that we're in the middle of of a real gang war. And what I think what's really interesting about how Snowfall is doing it is that you also realize that there are families that are hanging in the balance, too. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, like we just mentioned, you know, somebody is from a certain neighborhood or someone is crip or someone is blood. Um, but we we forget that these are people that are these are the same communities. These these um the different sets may, you know. We're we talking sometimes just blocks between, you know, quarter mile distance, sometimes even less between these mm-hmm. war, warring fractions. Um, so, you know, Scully and Manboy, they are actually related by that Manboy's sister is, you know, is, is Scully's wife. So, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I think they also need to be able to realize, like, you know, there's a niece there, there's a young girl that. Um, that ties the two families together, and and yet and still, because of uh, because of money and power and and, and drugs and influence, uh, we are where we are. You know, so I think that as we continue watching this, you know, this season, you're going to see more of those things fray. Um, I think you know we all kind of know that this doesn't end good. This is based on mm-hmm. real life. Um, no one came out of this. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, it's going to be a very sobering season. Um, yeah. Yet it will be entertaining. It'll be entertaining, but it's going to be very sobering. And, um, it's gonna, you know, it's going to hurt. Now, the show is really heavy, but was there any funny moments, like, while you guys were, you know, filming, any, like, you know, goof-offs types of stuff that happened that you can share with the audience, something stupid that happened? Uh, I 
can't think of anything off the top of my head. We do keep it pretty light. Um, okay. You know, we're we're the cast members. We've all been with each other a very long time, and and you know, we're we're friends off the set. So there's always some clowning going on. But I really can't. You know, this was just a different year. You know, we shot this under COVID protocols. It, it, you know, there just wasn't the same sort of um, like the days of cool kind of you know kickback. It, it, it yeah. was it was just a little bit more in, intense of a time because of the COVID protocol, mask mandates, of having to show up and be tested at least three times a week. Um, you know, even times when we were not shooting, we had to maintain our our COVID protocol so that we would keep people safe. Um, you know, in our homes and and people safe when set. we went back yeah. to set. So it, it just was a different tone. Um, I give credit to you know to the Snowfall production team, all of the EPs and stuff from giving us a, you know, a, what was a, a, a safe environment to work. But, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, before you call action, you have a whole bunch of actors that are taking off their mask and in the most vulnerable situation. And, um, yeah, so it wasn't, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't the regular, you know, joking and cutting yeah. up. I mean, we had we had moments, but you know, what I mean, it's just it's, if anything, the moments were just you know coming from laughing at the circumstances, you know, because um, mm-hmm. everything was different. Every, every single thing was different. Where you could eat, how you can eat, you know, um, mm, you know wow. how much yeah. time how much time could you be on the set without a mask before you do the next scene, lighting adjustment, um, traveling to and from set, all. The, all of these things had to be thought about and have protocols put in place to keep people safe and keep people safe that were even helping us, you know, someone driving you somewhere. It's about us being safe, but it's about, them, you know, protecting them as well. So, um, yeah, that was, you know, that was the stark reality of shooting this uh, season. We just wrapped this season. It took us an entire calendar year to shoot the 10 episodes. We just finished at the end, at the beginning of February it took us that long. So it was, it was pretty intense. And, um, but I think we did some really good work. So hopefully now it's time where we can kick back and laugh and enjoy, um, you know, the fruits of our labor in that sense. Yeah. I think you did some great work and I really hope that the audience enjoys snowfall. It comes on Wednesdays, 10 PM Eastern. Um, again, they're on Instagram, snowfall, FX, Twitter, snowfall, FX, Facebook, Snowfall FX. Where can people find you on social media? You can find me, Amen Joseph, pretty much um, all social media platforms. Amen, A-M-I-N, Joseph, J-O-S-E-P-H. Um, Twitter, Instagram, Snap, all that stuff. And he's a sharp dresser, too. So, you know, he, he so what you see, when you see Jerome, is a completely different person in his other photos so you can see his little sharp dressing uh, on his Instagram photos and things like that and um, I thank you so much again for coming on the show tonight and sharing you know experience with the show and just your life you know philosophies thank you very much for coming on this evening thank you for having me I appreciate it look forward to coming back when the, when the season is you know closer to its finale I definitely have you on. Thank you so much again, and good luck with your family. Be safe. Uh, Wash your hands. Wear your mask.
You know it. You stay safe out there. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, just got off the phone with Eamon Joseph from FX Network's Snowfall Show. Again, comes on Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern. Check them out. It's a very explosive um I mean, sometimes heart-wrenching, sometimes silly, but mostly just a look into what was going on, you know, during the crack epidemic and, you know, not just the people in the neighborhoods that were doing crack, but the people who were selling it, how the government was involved. They have so many layers to the show. Please definitely check it out. It is uh, like going to school, so to speak. If you don't know anything about crack and what was going on, Watch Snowfall. You'll get a good dose of it. Well, I thank you again for supporting the show. You can follow me at Joy Keys on Twitter, uh, Saturday mornings with Joy Keys on Facebook, and Saturdays with Joy Keys on Instagram. Thank you so much. Oh, you can also email me, Saturdays with Joy Keys at hotmail.com. Check in tomorrow, 1130. I'm speaking with author Donna Hill about her book, Confessions in B-Flat. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov.